I'd like to welcome to the show, author, model, life coach, Christina Handy. How are you today? I'm doing great. I am well, I'm so excited to be here. I love doing these things because my story is not about me, but my message is bountiful and beautiful. It's a message of hope and purpose. And so this is an honor. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. When I was doing some research, I had reached out to you and I had kind of dug into your story. And for me, I fully believe that as well. And before we dive into the questions, for me, it's it's understanding your story and it's us about utilizing our voice and, and utilizing our voice to say, hey, look, I went through something like this. Right. You can like you can make it out. You know what I mean? It may not look like it at the you know the time, you know, it never looks like it during, <laughs> you know what I mean? But right. At any particular moment, you can, um, right. you know, somebody can see something you say and, and it can really turn the page for somebody else. Yeah, exactly. Um, right. But I want to go all, I'm going to go back to the age 11 when you got into modeling. Okay. How did that go about? And tell us a little um, bit about your career within the modeling as well. Okay. So I started uh, modeling at the age of 11 and I ended up working for about 25 years, pretty full time. Um, I actually have an agent now. And I just turned 50. So, and actually when I was modeling as a teenager, I would look at the models who were older. And I used to think to myself, well, I'm going to do that my whole life. Like, why would I, why, why would I ever stop this? It's not just for young people. There's moms and there's grandmothers and ads and there's commercials. And, and so I really thought I would be a lifer. And, um, so starting at 11, I really, um, I was just drawn to the industry. I had three other sisters. We were, I was a very girly family and I was very attractive at a young age. And a lot of people told me that. And, and so I really pursued it. I mean, I knocked on the doors of the agency in St. Louis and they said, welcome. And so I started to work and um, my career took me to Dallas um, when I was 18. And after that was a bigger market um, that's where JC Penney, Neiman Marcus, and a lot of big retailers are based. And so that became my bread and butter. Um, I did a lot of bathing suits and catalogs and, uh, newspaper print and billboards and, and that, you know, we, I was off and running. Um, I went to Barcelona and worked for elite elite worldwide. And I lived there for some time, um, it, which was a really cool experience because the, the modeling agency Elite in Barcelona is on the first floor of this building. On the second floor, there's a, a photography studio and on the third, fourth and fifth and going up there, the model, the models are, that's where they live. That's where we lived. That's and awesome. so I lived there. I was so fun. <laughs> I mean, I, and I was, I think I was 22 at the time. And oh yeah, <laughs> even better, right? Even better. Well, and I lived with these girls that were 16, 17, 15 even. And I, and there was, we lived in these dorm rooms with, and there were bunk beds and I lived with these other girls and I felt like their mother. Um, and I was the one that would, you know, go to bed early and be on time <laughs> for, for my shoots, which I think is why I had so many lifelong clients because I showed up for work like any, like any industry, right? Shocker, right? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so that's a little, that's a glimpse of my career, but I did a lot of really cool campaigns. I, I worked as one of the guest models, which was very exciting, but interestingly enough, from an emotional perspective, that was a very lonely time in my life. And I'll explain a little bit why people who, if you walk into a room and you see the most beautiful girl in the room, you're not, most people won't walk up to her. And so what happens is 
the really, the really beautiful people, not always, but can become the loneliest in the group. Um, people are intimidated by it. They're intimidated by their beauty. They're intimidated by their success. And so it was, I, I couldn't figure out like why, you know, was a modeling world so good to me, but then on the outside, people would kind of like shun me away. Um, and I think a lot of it is pride and, and jealousy and um, fear, right? Fear-based, like, I don't want to go up to her, you know, she was a guest model. Um, and all of those things prohibited me from having more really um, connected relationships. Instead, I had a lot of transactional relationships. You do this for me, I'll do this for you. And my world became a world of transaction, um, which ultimately was my demise. For sure. And, and that's, 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 that's like, I feel like whenever you say that understanding, I know a lot of your backstory and reading about it and stuff like that. It's like the demise It's like demise part one, right? You know what I mean? Demise part one. Yeah. You know? and, and I guess that will, where I will go next, obviously yeah. um, looking at your story eight years ago this month. Yeah. Um, you wow. You really did. You did a lot of research. Yes, I did. Yeah. October 1st. I know it, it, I, I had a conversation. I was like, this is interesting to me. It's crazy that the, the, the day you were diagnosed is the first day of, you know, breast cancer. Breast awareness. cancer. It's, it's the, the interesting. It, point powerful. Here. It, it is. Was, it was powerful. And it's, it's part of my story because to be honest with you, when I first was diagnosed with cancer, I plotted my suicide because I had just had an entire year of doctors, physical therapy and a, and a bully, a doctor who bullied me so badly that my arm was completely disabled forever. I mean, I still live in chronic pain because of it. And so, and I think I was in either a doctor's office or a physical therapist that year for over 250 days. And in the meantime, my children were young. I'm, I'm not taking them and picking them up from school. I'm not feeding them because I can't. And so, and I'm getting sicker and sicker and that was just from my arm. And so by the time I got diagnosed on October 1st with breast cancer, I was like, my family's depleted. I don't know who I am. My beauty's now be going to be completely taken away. Now I'm completely scarred up. And so I have no value in this world. And, and then it was October 1st and I had to look at that pink for a whole month. And I thought, God, what do you have for me? What is up? Because that's a significant day. And then my, and then and the other, the other thing that happened was because my arm had just been fused, I couldn't start chemo right away because the bone grafts in my arm, the chemo would have destroyed. Wow. So I ended up having my first chemotherapy on October 31st, 31 days later on Halloween. This is a crazy story. So I go to my first, the night, the day before I go to my first chemo, I am scared to death. I am so frightened to go into that room and be hooked up. I now have a port in my chest and they're gonna hook me up with this medicine that's going to kill cells in my body, not just cancer cells. Right. And I'm going to lose my hair and I'm, I'm so scared. And so I, I called somebody who I knew who was a, an artist and I said, I want you to paint my face. And he said, oh, it's Halloween. You know, what are you going to do for Halloween? I said, it's not for Halloween. It's because I'm going to my first chemotherapy and I want to be invisible. And I want you to cover my face so nobody can see me. And this, this Saturday, I'm doing my first live speech after COVID started. And it's on October 31st. And I'm going to go with my face painted and share that story and say, I wanted to be invisible. And if I had done what I had set out to do to be invisible, 
I wouldn't have helped the thousands and thousands and thousands of people that I've helped. So every person, every person has a voice, but we just have to believe that. Yeah, it's 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 sometimes hard, and I'm sure, obviously, in 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 everything that you're going through, my follow up to you would be is is you're very vocal about your faith, which I I condemn uh, or not condemn, yeah, which I congratulate for sure because it's something that I'm very vocal about as well. But for me, we have those moments where we're tested, and you say, you know, why God? What what was your relationship like during that time with God? I grew up um, with a faith. Um, but I also, when I was first married and I had children and I was still modeling, um, my friends would ask me to Bible studies and I go when it was convenient for me. So I wasn't pressing into my faith. It wasn't a priority. You know, going to a yoga class was more important. And, and that really, that, I, that could have sustained me, right? So when I was first diagnosed with cancer, I, I wanted to leave this earth. I was like, I'm done. There's nothing, again, I'm depleting people, not giving, right? And there, and I don't know my worth. And so for the first three weeks before I went to my first chemo, I had really faithful Christian friends who poured into me. And they said, not only are you worth us showing up for you every day, but we're the hands and the feet of the Lord. And once we launch you, you will be the hands and the feet of the Lord. Just sit back and watch. And and yes, I was the one that had to go sit in that chemo chair. And yes, I was the one that had 21 surgeries. I had to show up for it, but they were there for me too. And they were teaching me along the way, faith that I already had inside of me, but they were igniting it. And once that was ignited, you know, God, God put those people in my life. They were there for a purpose. And, and so my faith, their faith together, you know, grew and, and changed the course of my life because of God. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. It's, it, to me, it, 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 again, it sounds kind of cheap, but just kind of gives you goosebumps just to hear her because um, God, he, the way he works is, is it's insane. You know what I mean? Because, it, you know, I always talk about how we, we only want to have faith whenever it's necessary for us. Right. You know what I mean? Whenever right. it's convenient, you know what I mean? When we're going through stuff, it's like, come on, God, where yet? But right. like, we're at the highs of highs. It's not like, you know, thank God. You know what I mean? We, it's, right. it's always in the back burner of, of kind of what our thinking is. Well, I think uh, that we think we can control it. For sure. And I, and I think that we think we can do a better job at it. And just recently, I, I had a kind of a tragic thing happen to me just recently where I got a staph infection in my reconstructed breast and my left side, and it, be, it turned into a Mercer infection. And, and it almost took my life. And they had to excavate my entire breast cavity. And and now and then they did the other one recently. And so I I, I said to I said to God, now this is like 10 years of trauma and, and surgeries and, and chemos and I mean I'm cancer free. I'm eight years cancer free, but it's a lot, right? I mean, it's a lot, especially now with COVID. You gotta go into the hospital to have your entire breast cavity excavated alone. Yeah. Oh, but guess who's beside me? Right? I got the Holy Spirit inside of me. I got Jesus that goes in before me. And in God is everywhere. And so if I hadn't have that faith, I don't know where I would be right now. That's and that to me, that's the message right there, right? You know, you said it perfectly. You walk in, you walk in and you feel like you're alone, but it, we're never alone, right? You know what I mean? As long as we're rooted in that faith, we're never really alone. And then to me, that's inspiring to a, a generation where I feel like 
God is not the forefront anymore in a lot of different things. And I, I think that um, a yes. lack of God is really hurting our generations now and, and which will be a trickle down effect for future generations as well. Yes, absolutely. Well, that's why we are here. We do what we do <laughs> exactly. to inspire. <laughs> and, yeah, because, you know, and, and again, like I said, to I, I listened to this podcast recently, which, by the way, I would encourage everybody to day after day, listen to spiritual podcasts. I have my favorites. You can Google them. There's a lot of guys out there. And that just feeds my soul, right? We have to really determine what we're going to allow into our minds. And, and by feeding ourselves Christian faith music, Christian faith podcasts, what you watch on TV, who physically you listen to, like who, who's your community, who's your friends. And recently I was listening to this podcast and it said, you know what, just shut the door and let, and, and be on the outside of the door and let just God, let God go there and do it for you. And so when I was going through this recent trauma, I was like, I'm just shutting that door and God's in there. And so I'm not, I, I'm not going alone, even though the hospital won't let me, that somebody had to drop me off for my surgery. Even the hospital won't let me because of COVID allow, allow a friend or family to be with me, to hold me, to help me. I I'm just going to shut the door and say, okay, God, you, you're there. I know you're there. And, and that sustains you life, life and things and, and attractive things and labels that doesn't sustain you. They right. won't keep you close at night. That doesn't feed your soul. Yeah, exactly. And then you, you said it perfectly. If you didn't have your faith uh, throughout the, the surgeries, throughout all this stuff, you know what I mean? You would have felt like you're alone. And, and when you feel alone, it's the worst feeling in the world. Terrible. Yeah, loneliness is. Um, I think a lot of people right now, um, especially the younger people, are feeling so alone. I mean, we're we're distanced and we're not supposed to be in community. And and I think well, I watched it on the news. I but I honestly don't believe a lot of the news right now. But I think one out of four young people um, have contemplated suicide over the last six months. That's that's the world that we live in. Imagine if they had Jesus in their life. Right. It hundred percent. And that's the thing. It's, you know, we understand the lockdown, however you paint the picture, however you look at it, the, the trickle down effect is more than just a monetary. It's, it's, it's a mental thing. Like it's, we know, you know, it's hard to overcome things yeah. in our lives. And if we're alone, it's, it's not that easy to overcome them. And that's, again, that's why I feel like, you know, you, my, my faith gravitated to you to, talk to you to get this story out to more. And obviously your story is already out there, but it's, it's just about expanding upon it and sharing it everywhere. And, and, and hopefully yeah. somebody takes just a little piece from this, you know what I mean? And understand that, you know, it's, it's okay to be alone, but also understand that while you're alone, you're really truly not alone. Right. Yes. And uh, we, all, we will all go through trauma. every oh, single. Time. Yeah. And, 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 it, and you have to decide what you do with it. Yep. You have to decide if you're going to react with bitterness, anger. You know, the world is unfair. So yeah. it's our reaction to it. And and it's our, and people are always watching. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm not talking about being a public figure. The people in your family, the people that are your friends, they're watching your reaction. And that's a teaching moment. Exactly. Um, so your book, you wrote it after you completed chemotherapy, which is of fact and fiction, which I, I love that you did that in that way that you did. Um, so Thank for you. me, it's, 
it's it's interesting to me. So you wrote it after you completed chemotherapy. So what was it? I'm sure that was a therapeutic process, but I also thought it, it was, I'm sure it was a hard process as well to go through, right? Very, yes. So I, when I was diagnosed with breast cancer, I had already had two major health issues. And I obviously didn't know who I was for a very long time. And once I figured out who I was with all of these tragedies that, you know, kind of took me out of the modeling space, it took me out of the identity that I used to have, which was only external beauty. Once that was kind of wiped off of my plate, I had to figure out who I was. And once I figured it out, then I was like, okay, well, now I have to use the story to help other people because my life would have been so much easier for the past 41 years if I had really known who my maker was and who I was. And, and so I decided that there were, I, I was given a lot of really beautiful books, spiritual books when I was going through chemotherapy, but none of them were a story about somebody walking through it and how the good, the bad, the vulnerable, the messy and the family and and I thought, you know what, I, have, I had wanted to write a book for since I was a small child and I didn't know what to write about it. And God gave me the story. It may not have been the story that I would have wanted, but he gave it to me. So it was my obligation. He knew I would have the tools to do it. And, and so when I was going through chemotherapy, I kept notes, I kept emails, I kept texts from my friends. And then when I was able to write, when I was well enough to able to write the book, I hired an independent company and they interviewed 28 people that were on this journey with me. And with their help and with the transcripts, I wrote the story. And it's helped, I, I don't even know how many people, it's so many, it's so many to count. And I think one of the reasons is because it was trial after trial after trial. And that kind of, that kind of digging that deep, it's hard and it's hard for people to understand it. And it's hard for somebody to have that total transformation, to go from that kind of external world to completely letting that all go and, and you know, letting faith lead me. Appreciate and so it. I love it. I love my book. I love talking about it, obviously, because it's not about me. You know, it's, a, it's about the message and the purpose in the message. And if I can help other people, if I can get more publicity on my book, it's not self-serving. No, it, it's 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 about you utilizing your platform to to help others get through similar situations. Obviously, we are in the midst of of breast cancer month. It's important to talk about it. It's important to be vocal about it. You know what I mean? It's it's it might be like there's so many different things. It's always more about it's always more than just a hashtag. It's always more than just it doesn't just happen in October, guys. You know what I mean? This is awareness. It's bringing it to you, but it's something that needs to be talked about. January, February, March, April, May, you know what I mean? It's, it's not just in this particular month. Yeah, um, so the book, I know I, I saw the books being turned into a movie. First off, that's super exciting. What was that like? Um, that's an interesting story because I wrote the last few chapters to kind of end into becoming a film. It was always my dream. That's awesome. Um, I well, love that so much. Because how many more people can you give hope to, right? Exactly. So many. That's my and thing. So, movies are my thing. Movies are what motivate me. Movies are what I right. learned from, you know what I mean? So you're bringing yeah. it to a different set of eyes. Not everybody wants to read. Not So taking, right. story, taking your story and, and turning into a movie, yeah. absolutely. So um, when it was first published, it I had a entertainment lawyer contact me and we had these amazing conversations. He wasn't sure 
how he would do it. He, he thought maybe a TV series or a movie, he wasn't sure. And so for about three months, we had these really intellectual, important conversations. And then it kind of fizzled out. And so I just, I never lost hope. And I just said, okay, God, that wasn't the right guy. And so then about a year later, a group out of Miami contacted me and said, we're going to you know, pump some money into your uh, social media to kind of get your name a little bigger. And then we're going to announce a film. And I was like, okay. And they hired somebody to write the screenplay. And that was going beautifully. And then they wrote, this person wrote the screenplay and it had nothing to do with my book. And I, and I looked at it and I thought, is this how it works? Is this how Hollywood works? They use a book and write maybe 15 minutes about it in the entire film. And I just said to them, no, I, I, this doesn't represent my book at all. And so I walked away from that. And then, but one person that was on that project sent my book to a guy named um, Ziad Hamza. And Ziad has won Academy Awards. He's He's a director, he's a producer, he's a screenplay writer. And he gets paid a lot of money to write screenplays. And so he called me and said, I, I need to write the story. I need to write the screenplay and we're going to get this made into a film. And he said, and this is my, this is what I get paid. And I'm, I'm not asking for anything. I just want the ability to share your story. And we, we hired entertainment lawyers and we got a deal done and it was actually supposed to start last May. Um, but of course COVID happened. So um, production is supposed to restart hopefully in March of 21. And um, yeah, it's very exciting because again, it's not about me and really the book and really the film, the emphasis is on women helping women, women empowering women, women standing by women, because there is so much in the media, in the world where women are tearing each other apart and caddy and, you know, turning on each other. And I, I just said my life, the, what the women did for me is so important to share with the world because women showing up for women is one of the most powerful things that we can do. And so the film really highlights that. Absolutely, I like that a whole lot. Um, Another question I have for you, tell us a little bit about eBeauty. Okay, so eBeauty, I'm so honored to be on the board of that nonprofit. Um, A woman named Carolyn Keller started eBeauty about 12 years ago. She's a two-time cancer survivor. And she, um, her sister-in-law had breast cancer as well. And when her sister-in-law was diagnosed, her sister-in-law went to go buy a wig and they were very expensive and she couldn't afford one. And so my friend, Carolyn, who started eBeauty, she said, I need to figure out a way where we can do a, a wig exchange program so that when people are done with treatment, they can send somebody a, their wigs and we can house them. And then when we can get them back out to other people who need them, that organization started 12 years ago and it really got um it really spearheaded about four years ago because the american um, cancer society who used to do a wig program decided to put their money into transportation um and so e-beauty kind of lifted off and we have so far redistributed fifty-five thousand wigs to people going through treatment that don't have the ability to buy one And we have hospital partners. We have, I think, 46 hospital partners where we send the wigs to the hospitals. But we we have a website where anybody going through treatment can just sign up and say, this is the color I want. 
This is the style I want. And this is the cut. And we've partnered with Paul Mitchell salons and they, when we receive the wigs, we send them to the Paul Mitchell salons and their students who in training, they wash the wigs for us and send them back to us. And uh, we've also been partnering with L'Oreal who's given us grants, which is amazing because our biggest cost um, with that nonprofit is ship shipping, <laughs> shipping each wig. So the way before our biggest our, our biggest cost was getting them washed. But now that we have Paul Mitchell and we've had Paul Mitchell for three years, that's not a cost for us anymore. It's just shipping, but it's an incredible organization. And I'm incredibly proud to be a part of it. But I also, I want that to get more out there. There's people that don't know about it. What's that website? It's um, www.e, capital E, beauty.com. Perfect, perfect. Yeah. My, I, I was trying to think of the, the best question to kind of finish this off with you today. And I, I feel like it's, it's one with your story. What motivates you to keep going? Serving. That's it. I just want to serve. I don't want anybody to feel as bad as I did. I don't want anybody to go, you know what? My friends and my family are better off if I'm dead. I, I don't want anybody to feel that bad. And so if I can help anybody then that's what I want to do. That's what fuels me. I love that. Thank I you. mean, I know darkness. I know I, sure. I've lived it. For sure. It's so hard. Yeah. So if I can pad the road for some people, man, I'm all in. I love that so much. I, I, I do. I appreciate your time today. I really do. It's, oh, it's inspirational. It's, it's moving. And I can't wait for more people to hear your story. Thank you. Well, thank you for putting it out there. It's, I feel like as a community, it's our responsibility to share hopeful stories. So thank you for doing your part. Absolutely.